So real estate investing and, and buying in properties became an option for us. Um, okay. So we bought another one the next year. We bought another one a few months later. Um, that was a original 1970s house. We renovated it, fixed it up, and then pulled the equity out. And then we're sitting on a pile of cash. Didn't know really what to do with it. And then I stumbled across biggerpockets.com okay. and found this whole world of real estate investors who would geek out over real estate like I did. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Um, podcasting. You're listening to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show, a podcast that discusses the intricacies of real estate investing with your host, Marcus E. Maloney. Marcus is a real estate investor best known for being the equity king. He's been awarded that moniker because he and his team find amazing real estate deals. He will be talking with investors who have done some transformational things in the real estate industry. They'll discuss their process, their strategies, and how their investments transform their lives and the communities they invest in. We welcome you to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another show, another We Love Equity Real Estate show. And on today, we have Bree Schmidt, who hails from Chicago, Illinois, the great city of Chicago, Illinois, where I was born, bred, and raised. Also, Bree is the managing broker of Second City Real Estate. Uh, Bree acquired her first investment property in 2011 and left the corporate world in 2014, where she became a full-time real estate investor. Bree is the managing broker, again, of Second City Real Estate, a full-service brokerage working with new investors and seasoned investors looking to expand their knowledge of the industry and their portfolio. Bree utilizes her extensive knowledge of building and managing a portfolio to teach her clients about all aspects of buy and hold investing. Bree teaches you how to analyze potential properties, how to calculate the ROI, best practices when marketing and leasing your rental, property uh, and how to be a landlord and build a portfolio. Bree, Bree's job does not end when you close on your property. She is always available to help you throughout the process and scale your business. Bree also is the co-founder of the uh, Midwest Real Estate Networking Summit, a nonprofit, nonprofit educational summit for real estate investors. This three-day annual event provides new to experienced investors with the tools to connect um, necessary to build a real estate business. So Bree, I want to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much for being an honored guest on the show on today. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. Actually, I met you at the, at your summit last May, uh, with John Kasman. You guys did a phenomenal job. I had John on the show about a month and a half ago. And he was expressing, you know, what he was doing in the real estate industry. And I thought it would be great to have you on as well. So, Bree, so just to kind of dig and jump right in, tell me about your start in real estate and tell me about, you know, why real estate for you? Well, it's kind of a loaded question. Um, <laughs> my, my start in real estate wasn't intentional. Um, meaning we, in 2011, my husband and I were about to get married. We were thinking about what our life plans were, what we wanted. We live in Chicago, which is not the cheapest market. Um, and mm -hmm. thought, you know, what, what, like, do we buy a condo? Like, what do we do? Like, we really want to have kids and raise family in the city. Um, what are our options? And I hadn't, I've been licensed for about 10 years at that point. Um, I really didn't do much with my license. I just kept it active and always had a passion for real estate, but I didn't like dealing with clients, to be honest. Okay, okay. Uh, I couldn't deal with like, you know, it doesn't feel like home. I don't like the <laughs> colors. Like it just, I didn't, I lasted like six months. Um, but we, you know, there's a lot, depending on the neighborhood in Chicago, there's a lot of two to four unit properties. So they make up about between 40 and 70% of the housing stock in some of the North side neighborhoods we were looking at. And they're about a hundred thousand dollars cheaper than a single family home right next door. So wow. our thoughts were like, Hey, let's buy a three unit property and we'll take up one floor. And then as we need space, we'll, you know, move some walls so we can take up two floors. And then as life goes on, we can take up three floors. And then eventually we'll have our single family house, but we'll have tenants covering the mortgage. So that was the original plan with it all. We weren't planning on doing anything above and beyond that. It was just like, hey, we could live cheaply and then eventually get more space. Um, 
a few months after we had bought the properties, we, we bought it vacant. I had no okay. idea what I was doing. Um, had never, I'd never read a book about investing. I never talked to another investor. Um, I just looked at, you know, this is what we think the rents would be and minus the mortgage and boom, we've got profit. Right. Okay. Uh, okay. Luckily uh, it was a great investment. Um, so luckily I didn't get screwed, which many people can with that, without Absolutely. that level of experience. Um, but yeah, we bought it vacant. We, we advertised it the first weekend. We got two great tenants who I talked to to this day. It's been eight years. Um, mm. It was a, you know, everyone was really easygoing. Everyone got along really well. And a few months into buying the property, my father um, had been diagnosed with cancer. Oh, he wow. had gotten a really aggressive form of cancer and passed away seven months later. And mm. he had passed away literally the day before he was supposed to retire. And it really messed me just being like we, his retirement party became his wake. And, you know, for a few months, I just thought back of all the times my dad had said, when I retire, I'm going to go do that. And here I am, I think I was 20, 29 at the time thinking like, crap, like I've got 30 more years in the workforce and with two weeks vacation, which you never get to take the whole two weeks of the same time anyways. You know, how am I going to go do all this cool stuff that I want to do if this is the life that I have? Um, so real estate investing and, and buying in properties became an option for us. Um, okay. So we bought another one the next year. We bought another one a few months later. Um, that was a original 1970s house. We renovated it, fixed it up, and then pulled the equity out. And then we're sitting on a pile of cash. Didn't know really what to do with it. And then I stumbled across biggerpockets.com. Okay. And found this whole world of real estate investors who would geek out over real estate like I did. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Um, podcasts and books and like all this stuff. And it just completely, literally opened up your up world. My life. Yeah. Well, took over my life is the word I would use. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> so sim- actually similar to what you were saying, um, sorry to hear about your, about your dad. Thank you. Um, I had a similar experience where my dad, he worked at Metron Steel right on the south side of Chicago for years, 30 years. And then he retired. And then two years after retirement, he was diagnosed with ALS. So it's like you did all of these years of work looking for your retirement and then you can't enjoy it. So that really changed my mind also, you know, into real estate, like what other vehicle can we use now, you know, to position us, you know, for the near future and not 30 years down the road. So, you and I'd worked, like, I loved my job. I worked in corporate advertising sales. Um, I'd built a career up. I had goals and aspirations of being, like, a female CEO. And looking mm-hmm. back on it now, like, that's the furthest thing from what I would ever want. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> a lot of long hours. <laughs> I don't want to work, like, I refuse to work more than 30 hours a week. Um, uh-huh. You know, and I prefer to work more around 20. So, okay. yeah, it's just it's completely different. It completely changed my whole mindset. And it's unfortunate that something like that had to happen um, to change my mindset, but I'm really glad it did because my life is night and day different than it was, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to definitely get into that mindset of working smarter versus harder, you know, instead of putting in all of those hours. So I want to go back to that on this, on this first, because you said you didn't know what you were doing. You guys said, Hey, instead of buying a single family, let's just buy a multifamily, a small multifamily. Um, what was the financing around that? How did you guys do that? How did you pull it off? And how did, um, you said it was your husband, right? Mm-hmm. How, how did he accept that? You know, cause some people will be like, well, I don't want to live, you know, and be a landlord. So how, how did that transition take? It was interesting. Um, we did FHA loan. Okay. So that's a low money down program. It's a strategy many people use to quote unquote house hack is the word, the yep. term now uh, mm-hmm. for it. And we bought a property that was renovated. So there really wasn't much of like a landlord side of things to do for us. Okay. Um, but I mean, he, he adjusted really well. It was, it was very numbers based. Because we, you know, Chicago, again, you're living in apartments. Single family homes in Chicago, and at least in the north side, start at about $650,000. Yeah, yeah. So we just weren't, and you have a $3,000 mortgage payment. So we weren't even in a position, we were renting at the time, I think, for $1,300 a month. And yeah, that would be a big jump. 
Big jump. Yeah. And by moving into the building, our tenants covered our mortgage and we were able to then live for free and save up the money for the next one. Um, Very smart. His involvement, he was never really super involved with the business. Um, to be honest, it was always my, my thing to do. Okay. It was my passion though. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, that's funny that you say that because you had your real estate license for 10 years prior and you just had it sitting idle, wasn't doing anything with it. So when you found this one, did you just go on an MLS and find it or? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. And then did you, did you close the transaction yourself or did you have another agent to help you out with the transaction? Oh, I'm cocky. I closed it myself. Okay. All right. Perfect. <laughs> probably, wasn't, <laughs> probably wasn't the best idea. I mean, like luckily in Illinois, Illinois is uh, not a title only state. So we use lawyers. Yep. Um, so the agent's involvement is to negotiate the contract. They, you know, handle the, the inspection part of things and access. But then the, the lawyers handle all Everything of the details else. of it else. So was really lucky um, to have that because otherwise I probably would have screwed something up and cost myself a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I didn't know what I was doing. Okay. But you know what you said, Hey, let me get out here. This is what I want to do. Let me just get out here and do it. And you figured it out along the way. And with the help of the attorney, you was able to get it done. You was able to get it closed. So how, mm-hmm. how did you find those two tenants? You know, so you close on the property. Craigslist, I think. Craigslist or something like that. Yeah. Now Craigslist sucks. This was nine years ago. Remember? Right, uh, right. You no. Know, back then you can get tenants off Craigslist. Now I don't even bother. Uh, now we use um, the Zillow rental network through um, Buildium as our property management software. So okay. you just put it in Buildium and it, it exports everything out to all the websites. Um, I mean, yeah, you know, and I didn't, I'm not even sure I ran credit reports, to be honest. Uh, okay. Like I didn't. So you were really just flying off the, flying by the seat of your pants, huh? I liked them. (laughs) It seemed cool. They were adults, you know, Uh Uh, they were actually all of them were, we had a couple on the, uh, the uh, one unit and then a single lady in the other unit. Um, They were older than us. You know, they had jobs, um, seemed legit sort of thing. (laughs) Okay. And and as I I just had a baby a few months ago and both of them had reached out to me since and like sent us baby gifts and then they haven't lived with me in since 2003. Um, wow. so like it, 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 it was an ideal situation. It was all the chips, all the chips fell in the right places. And it was a very good first experience. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. And sometimes that doesn't always happen. So Absolutely. kudos to you for, for making sure everything went in a direction that it did go. So did you have any, when dealing with those tenants, did you have a lease? Where did you get the lease from? Cause you're a newbie. You're just getting started. Yeah. So where are you getting all of your contracts and docs and everything? Google. <laughs> <laughs> um, at least now, well, well, Chicago, so the Chicago Association of Realtors, Chicago's, as you probably, if you don't, if you don't know at all, um, Chicago is a very tenant friendly city. Yes, yes. Um, and we have a very strict residential landlord tenant ordinance, which requires lots of rules and disclosures and all these things. So the Chicago Association of Realtors puts out a lease every year and updates it. And it's like 32 pages, I believe. Um, so luckily you can find that online. I Googled it, used that to make sure I was compliant with the residential landlord. Res- okay. Wow. So a 32 page lease. Wow. That, that could be most of it. Most of it's disclosures. I think disclosures. Actual, yeah. Just like, yeah, the, the actual lease is like three or four pages and the rest is all disclosures that are required to give. Okay. Okay. All right. So you got the tenants in place. You got some cash flow coming in. How did that make you feel? Great. It was easy, you know? Um, and like people said, people have always have these horror stories of like, you know, toilet breaking at midnight and the tenants are knocking at your door. Um, so my Chicago portfolio, I've always self-managed. It's typically okay. A, B type areas. And only just recently when I was pregnant, did we have an incident that happened at night where the tenants didn't want to bother me because I was pregnant. They came home and the mechanical room had some water on the floor and they're like, oh, we're not going to bother her. It's nine o'clock at night. And by the next morning, the whole house had flooded. Uh-huh. Water heater water had heater. At the bottom. And the $1,200 water heater fix cost me about $3,000 in water mitigate, like uh, remediation work. So I wish 
they had told me. Yeah. Uh, I probably wouldn't have answered because I was probably sleeping. But now I use a, uh, an a la carte management service. Um, okay. They're based in Chicago. They're expanding out elsewhere, I believe, as well. But it's called nestegg.rent. Okay. And they, they don't charge a monthly service fee, but now all my maintenance requests go through them and they coordinate everything with my tenants um, and they, you know, they bill my credit card. So I've been using them for my maternity leave as well. Because again, like with the newborn baby, if something happens, my phone's probably off. I turn my phone off usually 14, mm-hmm. 15 hours a day. Um, and okay. I can't. So that worked out really well for us. Well, I'm, I'm definitely familiar with Nest Egg. Um, close friend of mine's Megan McCullum. I'm yeah. sure you know who she is. She, um, you know, we've been talking about it because I have rental properties in Illinois as well. And it's funny that you brought up the water heater. Just got a call this past weekend. Water was seen, you know, on the floor by the water heater. So I was like, look, just go and change the water heater out. Yep. Let's not play with it. So, okay, sweet. So you use yeah, it. It cost me $3,000 to fix the water problem and $1,200 to fix the damn water heater. The water so, heater. Yeah. And those are things that if I would have, if they would have, if I would have known, right, I would have, but it was nine o'clock at night. Like I would have at least turned off the water and drained it. Like, you know, but those are all things that you learn through being a landlord. And yeah. sometimes you have to learn the hard way. Um, but tenants don't know these things, you know, like they don't know that like this is going to keep leaking because as the water's coming in, it's just coming out the bottom. Um, exactly. And if they don't tell you, then your SOL 12 hours later when the whole apartment's got two inches of water in it. Yeah, I, I had a tenant that had a small leak up under the sink. Never thought to tell us about it. You know, mm-hmm. they would just, oh, it's just a drip. Well, naturally, a drip became a stream and then the stream became a flood. You know, so that's one of the things that I always tell tenants is, you know, whenever you see something, don't hesitate, you know, to put in a maintenance request. I'd rather you put in the maintenance request immediately versus not putting it in and it costs us thousands of dollars more down the road. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So did you have any, any issues with those tenants at all? They were straight A, completely perfect. Perfect. All right. So you're true. That's good. That's good for your first one. So tell me. Any horror stories, you know? Um... Oh, I've got horror stories. <laughs> um, so I understand, like, I've got two portfolios. I've got my Chicago portfolio, which is an AB type class properties. Um, mm-hmm. I purchased that portfolio between 2011 and 2013, pretty much. And then in 2014, I started buying in the Milwaukee market. And I purchased okay. that portfolio pretty much 2014 to 2016. And that's in a C-class area. And that's where most of my horror stories happen. So okay. I'll tell you, I've got a good one. Um, I, I bought two properties, uh, a duplex and a four unit. Um, I actually just listed them for sale this morning, by the way. Um, okay. But we bought them. I was leaving for Europe for like six weeks. So we have got full-time management up there, you know, turned like gave them all the information and left for Europe like a week later. And I'm in Rome and I get a video sent to my phone of my garage burning up. Literally. Oh, wow. Um, it's like, it's insane. So it turns out the first floor tenant cheated on his girlfriend and she found out and she came to the house with a bat and busted open all of our windows and then went to the gas station and got two of those red containers of gasoline. What? Put them on his car in the garage and literally blew it up. And yeah, it burnt down our garage. The whole back siding was melted. It burnt out like the neighbor's garages were all messed up. And I'm in Europe. Like what the, we, I don't right. even talk to these tenants yet. Like we haven't even sent them notice it, you know, so that happened. Um, so yeah, we did, we had a tear down the garage because we were underinsured on it. Um, also lesson learned. Mm-hmm. And yeah, trying to save, trying to save a few dollars. And- I didn't even, I didn't even ask. You know, um, I didn't even ask what we were insured for on the garages, to be honest, like just wow. wasn't a big deal. Um, and then, yeah, she ended up getting arrested. She was a minor. Um, so, you know, we got a judgment against her, but that will never, you know, yeah, never, never go anywhere. Yeah. Okay. So, so how did you, for one, how did you transition from Chicago to Milwaukee and how was your transition from A to B class to c-class property so let's let's do the transition from chicago to milwaukee and then we go with the a to b from a to b to c so you'll learn in my stories 
in my life that I like to um, experience through learning, right? Okay. And it's not always the smartest way about doing things. Um, I'm super cocky. That's just who I am as a person. So mm -hmm. um, when I was looking, so I said, we, we did that rehab um, back in Chicago. We had money that we were sitting on. And that's when I found bigger pockets. And so I started learning about like other markets out of state investing, like, Hey, I can buy stuff for cheaper. It will cash flow more. This all sounds great. So I looked at Kansas city, Indianapolis and, um, Milwaukee. And I went to each city for three days and called three different real estate agents and said, Hey, I'm spending half a million dollars in the next 30 days. I'm going to come out for the day, take me around and show me what you would buy for half a million dollars. Um, and that's how I kind of learned the markets was to see what other investor friendly real estate agents would have done with that capital. Um, based on that, I settled on Milwaukee. I don't want to say settled. I chose Milwaukee. Um, not that I didn't like those other markets, but Milwaukee is a dense urban environment like Chicago. Those other mm -hmm. markets are more, you know, single family, residential, you know, gotcha. neighborhood type things. Both Chicago and Milwaukee have really dense urban cores and I'm used to that sort of thing. So I, I liked it. Um, I also liked the area that we ended up choosing, uh, which was not the areas that the investors took me to. Um, okay. They took me to all the D-class areas wow. and, okay. you know, was not, I knew right away it was not something I wanted to do. Um, I, you know, I wouldn't take a shower in that bathroom, so I wouldn't expect a ton of mind to do that as right. well. So we chose an area that was not necessarily where the investors go but was in a market that was close to really hot popular areas and was, had all the signs of gentrification. Okay. Um, so real quick, real quick, Bree. So why go to Milwaukee and not do a C-class neighborhood in Chicago? I just didn't really look at Chicago. Um, okay. You know, to be perfectly honest, there's some great C-class neighborhoods in the Chicago area. I just didn't even consider it to be perfectly honest. Okay, another lesson learned. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. I've got a lot of lessons learned. Um, so yeah, we, and that's where we got really aggressive. Um, again, I'm super cocky and just do things. So mm -hmm. we, it was really hard finding a commercial lender though. That's what why my struggle was. Um, we already had three finance properties. Once you get to five finance properties, you can't do a cash out refinance. Yep. So I knew, and because we were buying in like AB type areas in Chicago, I knew that appreciation was going to be um, a good potential for us in the future. And I didn't want to pigeonhole myself and right. not to pull that cash out. So I knew that we were going to go into commercial financing. And I knew that we were also going to get above the residential loan limit 10, you can have 10 loans. Mm -hmm. um, I knew that we were going to do that, go above that anyways. So we found a commercial lender to work with. Um, the deal was though, the properties, the property price points were pretty cheap back then. You know, you can get a duplex for like 60 grand. Yep. So they're like, listen, if you're going to be, you know, you've got a pretty aggressive growth plan, we're not going to be doing $60,000 duplexes for you every month. Like that's just not right. really right. worth our time. So we worked out like, Hey, let's buy half a million dollars at a time. And then we'll do, you know, we'll just buy them in bundles and do one closing. So that's what we did. So the first set of properties we bought was five properties. I think it was 18 units. And then that was in July of 2014. In December, we bought another five properties. In February, we bought another five properties. And then in May, we bought another three properties. So we bought 18 properties um, in a nine-month period. And it so, was so real, so real quick, being from Chicago, and that I'm assuming that lender was, that portfolio lender was in Milwaukee, correct? Yeah, U.S. Bank. They're a regional bank. Okay, okay. So what all did you have to provide to them you know, to say, hey, I'm going to be vested in this area. Um, what do you need from me in order to get this loan approved? So I actually ended up having to get a broker to, um, I felt like I always, I remember it was a Friday and I was like, I, you know, again, I just dive into things. I'm like, I'm going to do this in Milwaukee. And I must have called like 20 lenders and okay. it was like, hey, you know, this is my name. This is my experience. These are, this is kind of the portfolio that we're looking at. Here's my credentials. And I got no's left and right. Um, being an out-of-state investor was a problem. They wanted someone local. Um, okay. And I, I felt like a hooker. Like I was like <laughs> hooking out myself, you know, right. like, like day, like all day long. It's all I was doing was calling and I'm getting no's, no's, no's. But I actually ended up posting something on LinkedIn, I remember, and said like, hey, this is what I'm looking for. And I got a call on a Sunday morning from this random guy who said, hey, I think I've got a commercial broker for you. They're going to charge you two points, though. 
but they've already talked with the bank and the bank kind of likes what you're, you know, seems to like you um, and what you've got to say. So they're willing to take a meeting, like, will you sign this agreement? And I was like, sure, if that's what it's going to take to get this right. deal done, like that's what's going to take. And people are, I think people are generally like really cheap and not af and afraid of paying for things. Um, and I think that's wrong. And in the right case, right. I'm not going to go, I don't suggest going to pay some get rich quick guru 20 grand, exactly. you exactly. know, make you a million overnight. That's all <laughs> bullshit. Um, but that's what it took for me to get that relationship. And I have done 23 loans with them. And I think Sweet. it cost me like five grand. So it was absolutely worth that five yeah. grand for that introduction for that relationship. Um, I got really lucky though. The guy that I had worked with was, uh, he got me, he understood, like he, he just understood me. He understood my plan and they were really great to work with. Now, U.S. Bank is, this is a regional bank. I believe they're in 20 yep. states. Um, they, they've got really strict lending criteria. So they've got, they, the guy has told me like that they have not changed their lending criteria since the 1960s. They've got 12 boxes. You have to check all the boxes. If you don't okay. check one of the boxes, like there is no gray area. They, that is it. They will not work with you. Uh, but once okay. you check their boxes, they are incredible to work with. The other thing that I did, I think that's a little bit different is I asked him like, how do you underwrite? Right. Um, mm -hmm. Before I send you these, these properties, and these numbers, what are you looking for? Exactly. And he sat there on the phone with me and told me like, we do this for the vacancy. We do this for repairs. We do this, 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 this. And I built out a calculator and said, okay, now what's your minimum criteria? And then he told me. So then before I was even making offers, I was already putting it through their underwriting calculator. So whenever I had properties, like I remember giving them five properties once I was approved in three days, boom, okay. we were ready to go. You know, well, that's, that, that was good because you, you talked to the, talked to the uh, lender and said, Hey, what are you guys looking for? And then that, that way you can go out and find that product. So when you bring it to the table, Hey, I found what you're looking for. Let's get this approved and let's get it done. And that's why it mm -hmm. only took three days. But you know, like you said, it's that relationship. You found that broker and yeah, most people will be skeptical. Okay. Well, who's this random guy calling me from LinkedIn, but you know, it was something that you wanted to do. And you said, okay, well, let me go down this trail and see exactly where it leads me. And it, and it led you to a pot of gold. So yeah. Well, and then again, I got cocky again. So <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> I remember I was talking with a friend of mine um, about my awesome, like, and I was bragging about my awesome relationship with U.S. Bank. They have been phenomenal to work with. And the very next day, I get a phone call that my banker left. And I was oh, like, wow. no, like, I just was talking about how awesome he was last night. Uh, but luckily, I got referred to an even better banker who was phenomenal. And okay they'd already given them like my rundown and it was even, it was awesome. So it transitioned really easily. Good, um, good. But yeah, it was pretty funny. I just shot myself in the foot by bragging about how <laughs> awesome the relationship was with them. So what, so what exactly was that lender looking for? You know, let's kind of talk about that a little bit. You know, what, what was those, some of those criteria that the lender was looking for in terms of the numbers, you know, to where they would finance you pretty easily? Um, I've got to go back and look, but they were, they're looking, the minimum criteria is an 8% cap rate and a 1.2 DSCR. Um, okay. and they prefer higher. So at the time we were projecting like 10% cap rates and like a 1.4 DSCR. So it so, made it so, really easy for them. So for those who don't know, explain briefly, briefly sure. explain what the cap rate and DSCR is. So yeah, a cap rate is a calculation that we use in commercial real estate to value property. Um, so it's basically your... It's your rent minus your expenses, not including your mortgage. And that's represented as a percentage. Yep. So if you are buying a $100,000 property and your rent minus expenses is $10,000, then that's a 10% cap raise, 10% of $100,000. Yep. SCR is your, goes against your payment. So again, if your payment is $1,000 a month, typically principal and interest, because they take taxes and insurance out of the mm -hmm. expense portion of things then your cash flow for a 1.2 DC DSCR needs to be $1,200. Okay. 1.2% so of your payment, it needs to be your cash flow. So those are the two criteria that commercial banks usually use. Gotcha. So guys, you hear that right from Bree. She's been there. She's done that. So if you're looking to get into multifamily or if you're in multifamily, naturally, if you're in multifamily, you should already know about cap rates, 
Uh, but if you're looking to get into multifamily, you know, rewind, listen to Bree again, and that way you can start doing your homework on that. So thanks, Bree. Thank you for clarifying that for some of the listeners. Okay. No Continue on. You're working good with USA Bank. What's going on now? So yeah, the um, the first set of properties was interesting. So I was on a showing um, for this three unit property, and the the agent showed up, and well, you know, we went to go walk through the units, and he was talking to so and so like, oh, how was your kid's soccer game? And you know, he knew the tenants, he had a good rapport with them. The place was really well maintained, and so we left the the property and stood outside. I remember asking him, you know, are you the owner? And he's like, yep, mm -hmm. I'm the owner, the manager, and the agent. And I was like, do you have any more properties? Um, okay, You're digging fun. in. Yeah, he's like, I don't, but my family does. So it turns out it was this like investor family. The the mother had owned, I think, like twenty properties in the area. Her daughter was uh, uh, trained in HVAC. Her son was a trained plumber, and then okay. this was the daughter's husband who had managed the properties. And so Sweet. we had a like we got along really well. I liked how he interacted with the tenants. I liked, you know, the, the kind of tenants that he chose. I liked how it was managed. So we had a conversation about it and turns out he wanted to get into full-time real estate investing as a property manager. So he had been managing the family's portfolio. So we, it was, it was July and he was also a teacher. So we had worked out that he was going to be our property manager. Um, okay. and That's good. You found everything right there in-house. Yeah. That's <laughs> Again, being cocky. Being cocky, huh? <laughs> uh, you know, was like, oh, well, of course I'm gonna have an in-house property manager because we're gonna buy a bunch of properties, so it makes sense to have an in-house right. team that I can control. Um, so we, the first property we bought was his, and then the next, the four we bought all at once were from his mother-in-law. Um, okay. so it was really easy to take over because he'd already been managing the properties. Yeah. So um, how many? How many units was it total? I think eighteen. Okay. That's perfect. So, so not only did you buy the properties, pretty much you bought all of the management that went with it. So that Absolutely. was, that was sweet. So I know that made it easier on your transition with the tenants, because that's one of the things that a lot of people have problems with sometimes is when you buy a new asset, you know, sometimes the tenants get a little leery. Okay. Well, is my rent going to immediately go up? Oh yeah. Gonna, you know, change the lease on me and everything like that. So having that familiar face, still they're going to the property and managing everything really made that, that transition seamless. Yeah. And then the next said we bought another five properties in December, which were, you know, not managed by him. Um, but yeah, I, I'd say about 15% of tenants at least in our market leave before you even get a letter out to them. Like they yeah. just, the property is sold. They just move. Um, yeah. so, you know, we've definitely had that happen multiple times. Yeah, I, I, I face the same situation and it's like, okay, how can I strategically do this a little bit better so I don't have all of these vacancies going into it? But some people, they just say, hey, you know what? I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's nothing you can do about it. And actually, sometimes it's a good thing because now you can readjust rents and everything like that and get a higher rent, go in there, fluff it, fluff and buff, paint it and, and get a higher rent. So that's good. Um, yeah, I mean, it just depends. I think even now... We've got probably 10 tenants still from when we bought in 2014, 2015 that were inherited tenants that we still have. Sweet, sweet. So I know you said um, that you're looking to sell now. You, you actually put two on the market. I am going to come back to that. We're going to talk about that briefly, but let's take a word from our sponsor and we'll come right back with Bree Schmidt. PropString is the industry's number one tool for locating distressed properties and connecting with highly motivated sellers. With 100% coverage across the U.S., PropStream provides a deep dive into any property's specific details, making it easy to generate lists of distressed properties and contact to the owners. No other product or service can compare. Gain access to MLS property details like expired listings. You can pull accurate comps, even sale prices in non-disclosure states. This information is typically reserved for licensed real estate professionals, but is also available to you in PropStream. Gain access to unlimited nationwide property search, comparable home sales, targeted marketing lists, and owner contact lookup, built-in marketing tools, hundreds of filters to search and sort leads. Start your free seven-day trial now by going to proud.propstreampro.com slash we love
Okay, Bree, we are back. So tell me about why, why are you considering selling now uh, those, that portfolio in Milwaukee? Uh, I sold seven properties last year. Um, I've got two under contract and I'm list, I just listed three this morning. Um, so I bought, so I will we'll go back a second. I bought 18 properties myself. Um, and then I started working with partners and okay. I bought another 10 properties with partners. So we've got 28 properties in the area. Um, we so, ended up, so wait, how did you find those partners? Were they Chicago partners, Milwaukee partners, or no, California, all California okay. people. Uh, okay. they're just people that had reached out to me on bigger pockets. Um, and said, Hey, I, I know I've seen what you've been posting. I like what you're doing. Can we have a conversation? Um, and at the time I was still building my own portfolio. So I would told them that I wanted to wait until I was done building my portfolio first so okay. that we can reach our goals. And then that way I wasn't competing with them. Cause I never wanted them to feel like, Oh, Bree's taking the good properties the good, and then keeping yeah. us the leftovers. Um, so that was really important to me. That also gave me a, about a year. Um, while I was working on that to get to know them. And that was really crucially important. So I would send them emails and say, you know, Hey, I just looked at 15 properties today. These are the three that I'm looking at. Here's what I like about them. Here's the numbers. Here's the process. Or, Hey, we just bought, you know, five properties last month, you know, three tenants left in the middle of the night. Here's the repairs we had. So like, I would just share like everything with them that I could good, good. so that they got to know me and I got to know them. And it has been a really easy relationship because of that, because I took yeah. that time getting to know them and letting them get to know me. It's been phenomenal. I love all my part. Like my partners are great and I've got three different partners. We're all individually though. though. Like okay. I've got one, they're all one in one. Um, gotcha. yeah, well, that, that, that transparency is, is really good. I mean, when you're working with somebody, you know, the worst thing to do is have a partner guessing, hey, guessing what's going on. But when you're transparent and you say, hey, this is what I'm doing. This is what's going on. Um, this is my transition or something like that. Then that's good. They feel a lot more comfortable and they're, they're always continually willing to work with you. So that's good. That's very good, Bree. So guys, take, take a lesson from Bree on what she's doing. Yeah, I mean, I won't, even in the future, I would never consider a partnership without at least a six month court, like a courting period, mm -hmm. you know, you have to get to know each other. And so especially with, we have got um, just under a hundred units, you know, there's stuff happening every single day. I can't be calling them for right. every single little thing. Hey, that's not really, you know, not really worth my time. It would stress me out. Um, but they need to be confident in my ability to make decisions and why I make decisions. And that's what that courting period is kind of about is to learn those, those things about each other. Yeah, you learn how to work with each other. You know what they expect from you. You know what you expect from them. And, you know, if it's something major or huge, yeah, you'll shoot an email or pick up the phone and say, hey, this is what I'm dealing with. And this is how we're going to mitigate it and turn it around. You know, but if a toilet goes out, you're not calling all the way to Cali and say, hey, we got to replace the toilet. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. And then it's like, like the thing that you learn about being a landlord is there's actually, there's once you learn to give up control, I think was my biggest turning point. Like I can't control when a heater goes out, right? Right. Like why call me? The furnace is broke and look and by the way, furnaces only break Saturday afternoons or Sunday yeah. morning. They never yeah. break during business hours when everything's open. Um in the dead of the cold too. Yeah. So <laughs> the furnace is broke, like why are you calling me to like to get authorization to fix it? And the tenant has to have heat. Like I can't right. say no, fix it. Right. right. But if it comes to, hey, it's gonna cost $800 to fix it, or it's going to cost $1,500 for a new furnace. That's where I should be involved in those conversations. Absolutely. But if it's, you know, again, what am I going to do? Not give them heat. Exactly. Like, you know, <laughs> don't like, don't waste my time and your time with that kind of stuff. You know, or like you said, if the, if the faucet's been leaking, like fix it, it's yeah. going to cause more damage down the road, fix it. Yep. Yep. You got it. You got it. So how has being an agent, really been beneficial to you and your investment strategy? Um, well, I don't, I've, so I've been licensed in Illinois, as I said, since 2004. Um, I did all my own deals here in Illinois. When I went to go look at Wisconsin, I, it was, I had a really hard time finding an agent that I liked. Um, okay. but the, the agent that I had represented me on the first deal with this guy. And then I bought the other four from his family. 
Um, and then I went through a few months of, you know, trying different agents, Damn. really didn't like anyone. I was finally like, you know what, I'm going to get licensed up in Wisconsin. So I was in school to get my license. Um, or I had to take a test to get my license in Wisconsin. And right as I was finishing that up, I found a fantastic agent. Um, so oh, wow. he represented okay. me on a few of the deals until I got licensed. Then he ended up moving to California anyways. So everything else I've done up there, the other, I think, 24 properties I represented myself on. Um, so as, I mean, being an agent is not cheap. Um, you've got to maintain your MLS access. You've got to maintain your dues. So the first, you know, two years, it was great because I was getting paid commissions on some of the stuff and I was able to represent myself. But even now, like for the last couple of years, I've been throwing away, you know, thousands of dollars a year because I'm not really using my license to be active. In Chicago, I use my license to um, help investors find properties. And that started out of really nowhere. I was at a meetup and this guy had come to the meetup and said, you know, I cannot find an agent that understands like the numbers and I want to do what you've done. Like, could you help me? And I was like, I've got, I mean, I've got nothing else going on. Like, I'm sure I could, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I'm able to license, like legally help you, but I've not taken on a client in like 10 years. Um, (laughs) It was like, I'm a car. You know, um, so it was a learning experience. He was my first client uh, in 2014. We are still friends to this day. I just sold that property for him. He bought it for 860. We just sold it for 1.1 million. Um, And I've done probably five or six deals with him and his partner um, since then. So it's been great. But it was a learning experience. It was like, how do I, how do I communicate my knowledge right? To other people. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's how the brokerage started. We now have six agents. All of our agents are investors first, which I think is is really important. Yeah. And all of our investors invest in areas they personally work. And so it's become more of a, um, an educational platform is how we look at it. Like we will never talk a client into a deal because if we need to talk you into a deal, that means that you're not comfortable making that offer. Yeah. It means you're not ready and that's okay. It takes time for you to be ready and confident enough to be making offers. And for most people, it's six to nine months to get that, that mm-hmm. knowledge base up where you see a property and you're like, yep, I want it. This is what I want to pay for it. This, the numbers work for me, but it just, it takes time to get up to that level. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's, that's what I tell a lot of, yeah. a lot of people when you're, when you're working with clients, because I'm, I'm licensed here and I look in, Arizona and actually sitting to get licenses in, in Illinois as well. Um, when you're working with clients, you have to educate them. That's the most important thing. That way, like you said, you're not talking them or coaching them into a deal. They already know, okay, hey, here's the numbers, you know, Jimmy, run your numbers, see what you see. If this is a deal for you, come back and let me know. And I'll let you know, hey, why this number is the way it is, you know, and then yeah. we can pull the trigger versus, well, this is a good deal because of X, Y, and Z. And the client is looking at you like, well, okay, well, if you say it is now on the back end, if that deal doesn't work out for them, now they're looking at Bree and saying, well, Bree gave me this deal. And, you know, so it takes you some of that. Into it. Yeah. 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 And that's the thing with investors, like no investor comes to me and says like, I want to buy one property that I'm done. Right. Mm-hmm. That's not how it works. This, right. is a, this is a long-term relationship that if I, if I don't, if I saw you sunshine and rainbows in the beginning, right. And it's not what you expected. That's you're not going to want to use me for the next ones either. So, but if I tell you, you know, if I tell you that this is like worst case scenario, but most of the times my clients call me six months later and say, something's wrong. I'm making more money than you told me I would make. Like yeah, that's a good I ran my numbers really conservatively, you know? So uh-huh. That way you're now you want to work with me again. Right. You know? Right. Now you're like, whoa, like I'm making more money than I thought. Why wouldn't I want to work with her again? And that's how our business is built. So I'm one of the top 10% of agents in the Chicagoland area. And we've never mm-hmm. even done marketing. It's been all referral business for us based on that exact mantra. Okay. So now your clients, are they, I know they're all investors, but are they looking primarily at commercial or are they doing fix and flips? What are you, what are you guys sourcing for them? Depends on the agent, actually. Um, So where I work on the north side of Chicago, we're talking price points are around six fifty. Then you're looking at a six fifty and a six percent cap rate. So it's definitely not a cash flow based, you know, area, but it's a great area for house hackers. So that's kind of my primary business. 
because you're able to utilize low money down programs. You can live in one unit, rent out the other ones, and then you move on to the next one. That's mainly my client base just because of the price point and the numbers. But my other agents that work on the south side of Chicago and then like the southwest suburbs, their mm -hmm. business is primarily investors. Um, the numbers are, the price points are a little bit lower. The numbers are a little bit higher, but, and most of their investors already live in a primary residence. So okay. it just depends. Um, gotcha. Really just depends. Okay. So why, um, so kind of talking about the brokerage, why did you, I know you were working with that one client and that's how everything got started. How did you find your other, other agents to work with? It all just came naturally. Um, okay. you know, one of my, the other agent that worked with me on the North side of Chicago, he was a client of mine. Okay. <laughs> um, I, helped him, I helped him find a place and he loved it and then came to work for me. Um, so he's kind of like my, my partner, um, okay. which is great because he takes like three months vacation every year. Um, and I try to take as much vacation. I'm, I'm, I've been on maternity leave since like June. And so okay. he can take over things while I'm on maternity leave. I can take over things while he takes his vacations. It works out really well for us. Um, the other ones were all just through, you know, networking. Um, that it's a, the most important criteria to me is investment experience. Um, cause I can't, that part is so hard to teach. Right. right? And you can't teach that quickly. Even, even the agent that came to work for me, he had done one deal with me. It took us about a year, a year mm -hmm. of training and shadowing and all this stuff for him to really like be able to come into the home. Cause there's so much to learn. You know, you, you're walking past a brick and it's got, you know, spalling. What does that mean? Right. right. How do you fix that? How much does this cost? Right. What are repairs, especially for investors, what are repairs that you're going to make that are actually going to increase rent? Right. And like, it's so complex. You can't just become an agent and then learn this stuff. It takes years. So that's my biggest, uh, when I'm looking for a new agent is what's your experience with investing and do you have the same mindset that we do, which is, you know, you're not going to just go sell someone something because you need the commission check. Right. Um, right. And that's really important. So I'll tell you, like, I've got my, my South side guy is he's from Ireland. Um, he's mm -hmm. hilarious. But like, I remember I took him out before he even got licensed. I'm like, why don't you come out well, for a day with me and we'll look at some properties and kind of, you know, see how things go. Uh, and I remember like, we looked at maybe five or six properties and we get in the car and I'm like, how did things go? And he's like, oh, fuck, I think I screwed that up for you. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> he's like, I'm pretty sure I talked to that guy out of all those deals, but they were crap. Those houses were horrible. The numbers sucked. They needed so much work. I'm like, that's perfect. That's perfect. Like, that's exactly yeah. what... I wanted you to talk to him like he was your brother, like you were trying to help your brother buy an investment property. And I'm glad you talked him out of him because the properties were crap. Um, yeah. but you can't, that's what you need to do. You need to be honest with them and, and explain these things. So it's been, you know, that's how we, that's how we do. Things. And that's, and that should be the goal of all agents is to protect their clients. I mean, because that's what it should be. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, I mean, first and foremost, a lot of them is commission based, you know, when can I make my next check, you know, but like you said, when you have that foundation of help your clients, those checks are always come in because there are people are always going to want to work with you, you know? So and that's, the advice that I give anyone, um, regardless of area, when you're looking for an agent, um, is to do what I did. Like I'm like, this is my budget. What would you buy and have them explain it to you. Right. Yep. Have them explain like what areas ask questions, you know, what, what, what about this house gets you excited? Their ability to communicate that to you will tell you if they're the right agent or not because yep. the, the, the world of agents, right. It's the, the ones that do investments is very small. And then the ones that even do good investments is even smaller and smaller. So it's really hard. There's so many agents. I can't like, I've seen agents lose their clients tens of thousands of dollars because they had no idea what they were doing. Um, and yep. they weren't experienced with, with, with investment properties and you know, don't do what you don't know. And yeah. finding someone that knows these things and that's what they do all day long is super important. Well, like I said, you know, that those, those real estate agents are looking at that 3% commission two and a half percent commission. That's what they're looking, looking at versus, you know, the well-being of the client, which should be first and foremost. So Bree, hey, tell me about selling though. Huh? You, thought, you asked me about selling and then we went, we went something else. Yeah. We went all the way around. <laughs> so, um, so like, as you mentioned in the beginning, I'm the co-founder of the Midwest Real Estate Networking Summit. 
Uh, it's an educational uh, event coming up in Chicago in May, but this is not the only event. So there's been an event in San Francisco for a few years, and there's also an event in um, Mid-Atlantic, the Mid-Atlantic Real Estate Summit. Um, okay. So has an event. So I, I go to these events often. And last spring, I was speaking at Dave Van Horn's event in Philly, which is the Mid-Atlantic Summit, and he had an economist come talk. And it was like the first thing in the morning, you know, Saturday morning, I don't know, nine o'clock in the morning. Um, and this guy is talking about all these things that I didn't understand. And I was like writing things down, like what's yield curve, you know, all these things I need to go uh -huh. to Google. Um, so at the end of the event, they do a charity auction. And a lot of the speakers donate their time or donate things for uh, charity. And this economist came up, um, where it was, I think it was like three hours of his time. So I bid on him and bought his time. So I could understand, because I understand like the real estate world. I understand what happens on a, a local level, right. but I don't understand all these other factors that affect, you know, the economy and stock market, which play into real estate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I hired him to, and part of it was he was going to review my portfolio for me. So he, you know, I pulled all my data for the last couple of years, all my, you know, my cash and my reporting and set it off to him where I thought the prices were. And he put together this calculation for me as far as, you know, my IRR, like all these different calculations. And we had a lot of really in-depth conversations about the economy and the market. Um, okay. So while he think like that his, his point to me was there, we're due for a recession. Um, that's not necessarily, if your properties are cash flowing, that's not necessarily a reason to sell. Right. Uh, cause if they're covering the mortgage, you know, you can keep them fine. You're fine. Yeah. But what I, I was also going through, um, my portfolio rebalance, my five-year reset was coming up. So I was getting all my properties appraised and a lot of these properties came in a lot higher than I expected. So for example, I bought a property for $59,000. Um, I just put it on the market last weekend. We had 18 showings. And we got multiple offers with a cash offer, full asking price of 120. That was in Milwaukee, right? Correct. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I doubled my my my, yeah. my value. And so when I'm looking at the cash flow the property brings in, I think it brings in like 1350 a month. Um, so the numbers are great, but when I add it all up, I'm getting like 10 years cash flow up front by selling. Up front. Exactly. So why wouldn't I sell? So that's why we looked at um starting to sell off our portfolio. Okay. For that reason, we, we broke down every single property, you know, looked at, hey, how many years of upfront cash flow are we gonna get? And then it was a matter of figuring out what number. So above seven, if it's seven years cash flow upfront, we're gonna sell. Okay. Um, if it's below seven, we're gonna keep. That was kind of the, the metric that I felt comfortable with. I just made it up. It just felt, it just seemed right to me. Well, that's good because you're looking yeah. at, okay, well, if we can, if we can, I don't want to say liquidate, but if we can sell now and get 10 years of cash flow up front, now we can take that, that money and deploy, deploy it. it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Deploy it elsewhere and get a higher return versus waiting those 10 years. You yeah. know, and then you never know, you know, what, what can happen in those 10 years and you may not reach that price point you mm -hmm. know, again. So very smart, very smart. Never thought about that. Yeah. I didn't think about it either until he pointed it out to me. <laughs> yeah. uh, now, what to do with the capital, I'm still unsure of. Okay. Uh, but that's why, I said, that's why I like going to these conferences, is you get to hear people's perspectives, hear what they have to say, um, and kind of discover your own, your own path to things. Mm -hmm. But it's a, it's a nice sampler platter of, you know, maybe, maybe I'm into note investing, maybe it's right. land flipping. Like, there's so many different mobile home parks, self-storage. There's so many different avenues Niches, of Costing. Um, and I don't know anything about half of them. Um, so looking forward to learning more and okay. seeing what, where it takes us. Well, that's good because you guys are in a transition period right now. And, and it's good to be able to transition when you have capital. So you yeah. know, okay, well, we can deploy this over here and let's see, you know, run our numbers, see how everything works. And this may be something new that we can, that we can start with. So you mentioned, you know, the networking summits. Um, so tell me, Give us insight on the Midwest Real Estate Investing Summit. I'm going to act like I don't know anything about it. I was there last year, but um, fill us in. What's the purpose? You know, who are some of the speakers that you guys have coming out? Um, so the purpose is a non-pitch, non-guru event. Um, we try to focus a lot on networking as well. 
that people from the event can can meet and do deals together in the future. That's a, hopefully a big proponent of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, we we really seek out speakers that you know aren't going to just sell you sunshine and rainbows. Um, so the first year we had George Newberry, who was great, who had um, lost I think it was thirty five million dollars. He ended up thirty five million dollars in debt. Wow. Um, and rebuilt himself without filing for bankruptcy. And it was such like a, a awesome story that, you mm-hmm. know, he didn't talk about the, the, you know, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm rich and I've got, right. he talked about the horror stories. Um, so like, that's the part that I like. I like hearing the, the ups and downs of it all. Right. It's not yeah. all sunshine and rainbows. It's not all easy. Every market goes through cycles. Um, so talking about, you know, what happened the last cycle, what do we think is going to happen moving forward is all really a big proponent of it. Um, this year we have David Green, who's the host of the big co-host of the Bigger Pockets yeah, podcast. Yeah, David. Okay. Uh, we've got Jay Scott, who's yep. also the host of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, who we've tried to get out for the last three years. We've got Eddie Wilson, CEO of Think Realty coming out. Okay. Um, we've got a lot of really good speakers coming out this year, um, talking about a, a bunch of different topics. Excellent. Excellent. So guys, I'll make sure I put that in the show notes, especially you guys that's in the Midwest, you know, Chicago, St. Louis, Indianapolis, Milwaukee, make sure you guys come on out. And if you're across the nation, come on out. I'm, I'm, I am a witness. It was a great it's event. It's so much fun, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fun meeting all of the people <laughs> and, and talking and, and just some of the, just meeting some good people and, and hearing the stories. I so I'll tell you. When I, I met my second husband and I was, we met on a Sunday and I was flying out for Joe Fairless's event that following Wednesday. Um, I was there, it was a couple years ago and, you know, came back and I had no voice. Like I, and I actually tore my ACL when I was in the hospital. It was awful, but, (laughs) uh, came back on crutches and I couldn't talk. And he was like, well, how was your weekend? I'm like, I loved it. And he's like, explain to me why you're flying out there. Right. And you're, uh-huh. you don't get paid for this kind of stuff. And you work from like eight o'clock in the morning when the event starts. And then usually we're out talking till like 10, 11 o'clock, yeah. at night, you know, and then you're out and you're just talking all day long. And like, I always lose my voice. Um, <laughs> it was like, so it costs you money. You work for free and you work like 16 hour days. I'm like, it's not work though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's fun. That's the thing I love about real estate investors. And we'll have, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard Jay Martin speak. Jay Martin's coming out again this year. Um, okay. He talks about lifestyle investing. Yeah, but, JT, J, uh, J Thomas, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, but you like, like real estate investors, it's not just a job for us. It's really a lifestyle choice. It right? is. And to the core of all of us, right, we all want the same things. So when you stick a bunch of real estate investors in a room, it's even strangers, right, they all have that common core of their being that they all will relate to each other with. And, you know, that's what I love about it. I can sit in a room for days and days and days, give us some wine, right? Shut the doors. We'll be fine. And there will be no lack of conversation. Yep. Yep. And it, and we'll walk out with confidence and we will execute. And, you yeah. know, and that's the main thing. So, well, I'm hoping I don't have that experience when I go to the best ever conference, you know, in a couple of weeks. Are you uh, going? Yeah, yeah. I don't want to ski and tear ACL or anything like that. Dude, first run of the morning, Bunny Hill. I did it. <laughs> <laughs> I bit it and was like, it was awful. Um, I bit it and like this like three-year-old was like skiing past me with his dad and they stopped to ask when he had help. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Well, I get rushed. They take me off the mountain and they take me to the hospital and like I'm with Joe and Ben is there. Um, There's a couple other speakers there. Like Kathy Fecky was there. I didn't want to uh-huh. ruin their day. So I didn't tell anyone that I was in the hospital. Um, I'm like, oh, I'll just figure this out. And then I'm sitting there. I've got no ID. I've got no insurance card. I've oh got all of my ski lift card, which you've got to like load money on. Right. And I get released from the hospital. I cannot walk. I'm in a full crutches. I've got no shoes, you know, <laughs> and like all of a sudden I'm just like realized like I haven't eaten all day. I can't take any pain meds because I haven't eaten all day. Right. Like, I'm in these crutches, like crutching through on socks. The hospital attendant like had to go return my skis for me. And like I had to get an Uber <laughs> back to the ski lift to go up like and then I finally like send out a group text and they're like what are you doing I'm like well I didn't want like we ruined your entire day so like Ben stopped what he was doing and like came and got me food so I could like have 
like take the painkiller. Oh my gosh, it was just a mess. It was a total mess. But you had a great time. You had a great, great time. time. Great time. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Okay, okay Bree, let's kind of wrap it up. Um, we're having a good conversation here, man. I really, I really enjoy it because um, you know some of the same people that I know and, and vice versa. And that's what I tell people. The real estate investing community it's large, but it's really small and intimate, Absolutely. you know? Yeah. Um, and that's why I tell people you can't burn bridges. You know, you can't do Absolutely not. the wrong things to the right people or even the wrong people because everyone will find out about it. So, so I am going to put you on a hot seat. Let's breathe. Let's go to our hot seat questions. I am going to put you on a hot seat real quick. So wrapping up here, let's answer these as quickly as possible. Starting over, what would you do differently? Be less cocky. All right. Well, I don't know. That that's kind of working in your favor. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I've made a lot of financial mistakes because of it. Again, I'm not regretting it at all because uh, mm -hmm. it's how I learn. But you know, I could have gone a little bit slower and and did a little bit more of my due diligence. But it's all worked out. Okay. Great. 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 What's your greatest commodity outside of capital? Time. What drives your ambition? Your cockiness. Life. <laughs> time like life and time like and being able to you know work i said I, I try not to work more than 30 hours a week i try to work 20 hours a week um okay. i get to watch movies with my husband and my daughter during the day right uh we take try to take as much vacation as possible like that's what motivates me is having yeah, the freedom to do those things excellent excellent what do you believe is your greatest challenge internal or external time management um, is still something that I struggle with and it's been a, uh, a process for years. I'm continually working on time management. Okay. And what is the latest business or real estate book you've read? Oh, it's been a while. Um, I don't even well, know. We know you're busy with a, with a newborn. So even so, like I used to work corporate, I used to take commute on the train. So I would read books all the time. Uh, now that I haven't done that, I listen to podcasts almost always. Uh, okay, well, give us a good podcast recommendation besides this one. Um, bigger pockets. <laughs> bigger pockets is good. Uh, yep. I like the. I actually, I really like the Bigger Pockets Money podcast. Um, okay. I think that that sheds a light onto the financial side of things, like financial independence, yeah. um, which applies not only just to real estate but outside of real estate as well. Yeah, Mindy and Jay, they really dig into it. This, they're, mm -hmm. they're excellent. Okay. And then lastly, what do you believe is one characteristic an investor needs to be successful? Confidence. All right. Confidence. So, and if you don't have it right now, that's okay. Like confidence only comes with time. Um, but you need to get, you need to be confident in your investments. And the thing I always tell people is like, especially as an agent, I'm not up at night worrying about this investment for you. But if you're up at night worrying about it, that's a problem. Yeah. Um, and whenever I've been like, whenever I've had offers I put in, like then the next day I'm like, how am I going to pay for this? Is it really going to cash flow? Can I put like, I just back out of the deal. Um, okay. it, I need to be confident in my decisions. Cause if I, if I screw it up, it's all on me and that's, I'm okay. Right. With that, you right. know, at least, but at least I was confident in what I thought I was doing. Okay. Well guys, this is Bree Schmidt and we had a wonderful time. Bree, thank you so much for being on the show. Before we sign off here, how can we reach you? What's the information for the Midwest um, Summit? Give us, give us how we can reach you. Yeah, so I'm usually on LinkedIn at Bigger Pockets. Um, and then the summit is MidwestRESummit.com. Um, tickets just went on sale. And we will hopefully see you back in, in May. All right, guys, make sure you get your tickets for the Midwest Summit. I'll be there, Bria be there, John will be there. There'll be a lot of people there. So if you need to learn about real estate, you need to know about real estate, that is a great place to go. So it's it's warm, it's inviting, you know, it's not suit and tie. It's not in Chicago winter. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 great. It's in the spring. So come on out and join Bree and John and you guys will definitely have a good time. So Bree, I wanna thank you again. I really appreciate you being on the show. Um, I'll make sure I have everything in the show notes regarding the Midwest Real Estate Investors Summit and I'll have your contact information down below. So guys, if you're an investor and you need to look at properties in Chicago, Bree is definitely the agent and the managing broker of Second City Real Estate. Um, so. You can reach out to her. 
and she'll find those deals for you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay, thank you so much, Bree. Bye. Mm -hmm, bye bye. Okay, guys, that was Bree Smith out of Chicago, again, the managing broker of Second City Real Estate. She shed a light on a lot of things for us uh, on getting started. Like, like I said, she started with the house hack again and worked her way up and now she's managing over 90 units. So we want to make sure we support Bree at the Midwest Real Estate Investors Summit. I will be there. Uh, there'll be a lot of high level investors there. So again, come on out, join us. And I can't wait to talk with you guys on next week. Always remember to enjoy the journey. Thank you for listening to today's show. I picked up some great actionable items and I'm sure you did as well. If so, let me know. You can always reach me via social media at facebook.com slash MRCS Maloney, Twitter at MRCS Maloney, and of course, IG at MRCS Maloney. You can also always reach me via email at mmaloney at equityri.com. Make sure you reach out to our guest as well. You can always find their contact information in the show notes below. If you have not subscribed already, what are you waiting for? Join the family. And while you're at it, leave us a five-star review. This is how we tell if we're providing you with what you need for your journey. If there's someone you would like for me to interview, or if there's a subject matter you would like for me to cover, please let me know. Finally, if you're looking for additional information about real estate investing, go to equityrealestateblog.com, also youtube.com slash Marcus Maloney. Until next time, family, always enjoy the journey.